0: Business is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Callaghan Innovation,
1: New Zealand's innovation agency.
2: Here's your host, Simon Pound. You know how when you go to a big concert and afterwards you and every other person there will want an Uber at the same time and you just kind of expect that you'll be able to call one up because surely they'll somehow know how to project the demand around this big event. But have you ever stopped to think how they might do this? And what if the event isn't as obvious as a massive show at a major venue? What if it's an obscure conference? And it isn't just Ubers. All kinds of companies need to be able to know when unexpected demand, or lack of demand, is going to shake their business. One local company is helping solve this through a clever mix of big data and human thinking. They are called Predict HQ, and they count Uber huge airlines, and companies like Domino's among their customers. In fact, they help the pizza chain know how much dough they'll need to make the most dough. The company had a couple of huge turning points, with one founder uprooting his young family and setting up their San Francisco office to help land $15 of venture funding and some of the world's biggest companies as clients. They keep a Kiwi heart with most staff and all the clever data stuff happening here. That uprooted co-founder, who is also Predict HQ's CEO, Campbell Brown, joins us now on a trip back to Aotearoa to talk the journey, what's next, and how they got going. Kelda, good morning. Good morning. Hey, so first up, um, this isn't your first rodeo, is it? Uh tell me about your experience at Online Republic, who not everyone may know of, but they're a hugely successful company in the kind of data space around bookings for camper vans and stuff is that right
1: yeah yeah I mean I, I was um, I was coming out of another startup called Grab One uh, that we had uh, started back in 2010 and uh, I had a, I had a, uh, I was I met a guy called Mike Ballantyne who at the time He's um, one of the co-founders of Online and Public and started working there a day a week just to help him out and then went to three days a week and then he said look mate can you join me full time and let's let's make a go at this business and and see what we can do with it and it kind of made a lot of sense to me. I got along with Mike really well, um, kind of kindred spirits and, and whatnot. And then um, about two years later, we uh, successfully sold the business to, to Webjet. But during that time, we, we spotted this, uh, this trend that was happening, these peaks and troughs in demand that we really didn't know why. Why was it happening in Paris and London and San Francisco? And, and we were able to kind of triangulate it around these events. And I said to Mike, there's got to be a better way. We've got to be able to to do this and so we solved this problem internally and eventually that led to us thinking actually we've got a business here and so literally at the same time we were i was i was uh res- resigning from online republic in the office of the investor that we were signing our seed capital deal with on the same day and and as soon as that happened we were um we were kind of all guns blazing in, into predict hq
2: and with kind of the the blessing and friendship of the Online Republic people, because oh, you've totally. taken a whole bunch of the crew with you, don't you? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, look, uh, there's, there's
1: uh, you know, a lot of them are, are shareholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we set this business up and incubated within with an Online Republic, and so, you know, the likes of Ron and Dimitri and Sue and Vaughan, and, um, you know, they're all they're all shareholders still in the in the business and are, and are extremely supportive. We're just at Mike's birthday and uh, on Saturday, um, and, you, you look. <coughs> In the early days, you know that it was it was great to have their support to get this thing get this thing going. It's quite remarkable. Like what were so mm. this
2: was a, an insight that came out of trying to um, kind of get in the middle of people wanting to get car rentals or campervan rentals yeah. when they went to different cities.
1: Hey, yeah, hundred percent. So we, we did we did two things that kind of proved our thesis. The first thing is we served up a little booking alert widget on our car rental website. And we told people why availability was low and pricing was high. So it was this educated urgency. And that little tweak on these search pages uh, increased conversion by 35%. And so we were going, okay, there's something there. And then we also knew that the booking curve of, um, it was a state of origin in Brisbane, was 16 days. And so we tried out, buying as many eyeballs 16 days out from the state of origin on people searching on airport rental car hire Brisbane and and whatnot. And we were able to dominate market share in that particular space because we knew about the event coming up and when they were most likely to book. And those two catalysts for me were the biggest thing to go, look, there's something big here. And then it was what shape and form is it going to take? Is it going to be a SaaS product? Is it going to be an API product? And I think our first stumble was we made it a SaaS product. Uh, and so very quickly, we had to change to, to an API-first business.
2: Tell me, let, Let's jump back to, um, to where we were a second ago. Mm-hmm. But tell me, what's the difference between a SaaS business and an API-first business?
1: Great question. So API, Application Programming Interface, is a way in which businesses can integrate it into their own platform. Um, so what we had is we were going and meeting with businesses, and they're like, hey, we love what you're doing but we want that intelligence in our own systems. We want it in our own forecast models. We don't want a platform to log into and to go search and discover these events. And so we very quickly saw that that was the way we needed to become you know, a category king. Even, even back in those days, we're thinking, how do we become a category king? And it's by playing and providing a, um, uh, an agnostic technology that can plug into a revenue management system, that can plug into a demand forecast model that, you know, in Uber's case, they've built an entire platform around it. Uh, and I think that is, uh, it is a challenging way of doing it, but for us, it's it's a long game and, and we we knew that that would be the best way of, of, of approaching this business. So it's kind of like a, a big pipe full of all of your data <laughs> yeah. that
2: you just like... Plug in, and then they can use that pipe to make whatever kind of stuff they want to out the other end, as yeah. opposed to concentrating on having something that's got every single report conceivable that yeah. they then log into and use on a desktop or something.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just we just we saw this massive thing of people just getting sick of logging into another platform, and and that works when you're when you're a Salesforce, and that works when you're a Slack, but. For us, we knew that people wanted to build um, data models around our, 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 um, our data as well. And that for us is, is really, really um, sticky, meaning you can't just unplug us and plug in something else because we have built all this intelligence around real-world events and, and at, at real scale. Uh, you know, so when we went and talked with, uh, talked with the airlines, they were sitting there, hey, how we get event visibility at the moment, we sit five people in a room and we search on Google. And there's no way of knowing if that's big or small. We miss thousands and thousands of events every single month. But we're using that data in our forecast models. And we just said, that's crazy.
0: That is
2: bananas. So let, let, let's jump back to that first kind of like the the idea that got it going. So mm. you worked out – so were you actually putting up like little uh, notifications on the page that said oh, yeah. that said like – State of Origins happening in 16 days. It's going to be busy. Book now.
1: Yeah, totally. So when people would search on Brisbane or they'd search on New York City, we would call our at then our very very basic MVP, you know, um, minimum viable product of an API, uh, and it would return the results to tell them what was actually happening in that area. So we A/B tested it to make sure that it was it was right because it was a bit of a bit of a punt. Um, but it, it all played out. And, and I think the other kind of byproduct of that as well was people were less likely to abandon the page, yeah, meaning well, they felt that urgency of booking.
2: Well, and they'll believe it because, yeah, you, it's know, a, you jump online and there's a million, 26 people are looking at this. <laughs> and you're like, there aren't 26 <laughs> people looking at this
1: hotel room. You yeah. guys are having me on. Yeah, and, and, and funnily enough, um, booking.com is, is another customer of ours. And, um, you know, they're, they're pretty aggressive in that space as well. But, um, but, but it doesn't feel targeted and it doesn't feel relevant and it doesn't feel believable whereas it, yes. I'm
2: on to try and book for uh, State of Origin. Oh, wow, lots of other people. Are, it even knows I am. Oh, shoot, yeah, I'd better yeah. move it.
1: And, and conversely, if you wanna, if you don't want to travel on that day and you're flexible, you can. You, you won't lose that individual. And so I think that that context is really important, and, and that applies to you know, what we saw very early on in the travel space now is just exploding in the retail and the transport space. Um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy just how many businesses are impacted by by events. How did you, so, so events became the thing that you picked up
2: was like, these yeah. are the things that cause these like um, surges and demand around uh, things like rental cars in, in yeah. cities with people yeah. coming to get there. Mm. And then you extrapolated that out to go, well, actually that event's going to affect everyone selling food
1: or r- rostering staff on yeah. or wanting to get a car park. Yeah. I mean, you, you just think about the event footprint, right? So like if, if you're going to travel to Sydney for, you know, to watch All Blacks versus Australia, you've got to book your accommodation you've got to book your flight you're going to spend more money on retail you're going to clothing cafes bars restaurants rental cars ubers um it, the the knock-on effect is is massive and you um, I mean even you look at travel insurance and so we kind of sat back when when, when we realized this i'm like this is massive and, and no one's doing it um and we've had and we've been able to solve a problem in a, in a real business and at scale and and then we started to um, get inbounded by um, some really, really big businesses who have been trying to solve this internally for years and years and years and just have never done it. And it's, it massively moves the needle. So you're not talking like a 1% or 2% gain. You're talking massive amounts of money that they can by being prepared, by having more inventory, by having more staff on board. Because then you start looking at labor optimization. How many staff do, do we need to have in this cafe or this pizza shop? And understanding that catalyst, understanding why, at scale is is, is super, super important. Because I'll bet not all events are created equal.
2: So, for example, the the Orbex playing in Sydney, big deal. The Warriors go to Sydney. There's not planes of people following the Warriors into Sydney.
1: Yeah, yeah. so there's a couple of things at play there. So the the first thing that um, we uncover is is the perfect storms of demand. So these are events that are smaller um, but intersect on the same time, the same location. Um, that you didn't have visibility before, that collectively they have a massive impact on demand. So we're not just looking at these big events, we're looking at also these groupings or clusterings of events that are happening. And then this is kind of why we're moving into the space of things like aviation rank. And so what we do now is we ingest the world's international and domestic flight booking data. We fuse that with our uh, event data to then to be able to rank events based on what triggers inbound, outbound. So a um, if Kevin Hart is playing in San Francisco, there's forty thousand people attending it. Uber care about that. But British Airways don't. British Airways do want to know about the medical conference that is down in San Jose, that's attracting twenty thousand people and seventy five percent of those people are inbounding internationally. And those those nuances are big in terms of when we are being used in forecasting and
2: and I'll bet Uber want to know about the medical conference down the road because you'd expect when Kevin Hart's on, it'll be at a stadium that's in a big place that everyone knows about. That conference could be in the back blocks of nowhere, and if suddenly ten thousand yep. people need an Uber at the same time, yeah,
1: true. I mean, and, and, and Uber is, is very much about the you know, is there going to be uh, a lot of people needing a ride in one particular location at any given time? And so that's so that they've got a broader one, whereas the airlines are very specific on inbound outbound. Um, And and then you've got the likes of um, some of our accommodation partners who care about not just the event, but actually how close is that to our asset? Because if there's a 100,000-person event that is 20 kilometers from our hotel, we care about that, but we also care about that 1,000-person event that is only 20 meters from our hotel. And those things, you know, this is why we've had to build and do a lot of feature engineering within our API. So if it was just a raw data feed, that that's something that we've never really been interested in is building that intelligence and that capability to allow these people to understand and get these answers is kind of critical to to us now and, and, and in the future and as we build out our, our capability around correlation and prediction.
2: So you kinda you landed on this this concept of events and yeah. then you thought, look, it's bigger than just rental car, it's the <laughs> whole industry. How do you go about building up your data set so it is meaningful? So you are able to then yeah. have you know, relevant scores that you can give things if they're within proximity or if they're kind of, you know, a certain number of people? Because there's there's a lot of little conferences and there's a lot of cities and there's a lot of change.
1: Yeah, you've got to spend quite a bit of money uh, to basically build out uh, an event pipeline that can can ingest information and that can actually clean it as well. So we we spend a lot of time building out this data set Um, And it is a painful, painful process, but we've now got this platform that can ingest, you know, millions and millions of pieces of of information and clean it uh, on the fly. Uh, Meaning, you know, some of the data partners that we bring in, like ticketing platforms or sport data providers, they've got a 40 to 50% error rate on their their data, meaning it's incorrect geocode or location or it's spam or it's a duplicate. We're cleaning all that up. Uh, using machine learning uh, as as a way which we can do that at scale, and it's kind of the um the unsexiest sexiest part of our, our of our business, and we've spent a lot of money just to get a clean data set that we can then enrich and provide intelligence on top of that. And do your deals with your customers? Mm-hmm. So you know you, you've got the Ubers, you've
2: got the Dominoes, you've got yeah. Booking. dot coms. Yeah. They're pretty big customers. Do they mean that you're able to pull their information into the whole, and then it makes the whole system richer?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's elements of what we're doing uh, in the future that absolutely that's what we're doing. I think first and foremost, though, it's it's enabling them to improve their forecasting. So um, that means that they we're, we're kind of supercharging what they are already doing and answering the why around some of their booking and transactional information. And um, you know, where we see a big growth in our business is actually better assisting them in, in correlation. So helping them correlate events to demand, uh, and so. That's where we're pushing uh, next year is uh, uh, building a lot of our capability around um, how can we help you find that correlation within, rather than months and minutes, and then how can we help you scale that?
0: Sorry about that. <laughs> Alex Casey from The Real Pod here. And this is Duncan from The Real Pod. We're here to, to tell you that as well as enjoying this podcast, you should also listen to ours. It's a reality television and real life in New Zealand podcast recorded every week. It's, 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 it's relevant. It's not relevant. It's <laughs> crazy. It's real. It's raw. It's three mates having a nice time and talking about the television. If you like popular culture, if you like celebrities, if you like reality TV, even if you hate it all, have a listen. You might be surprised. Yeah, definitely. If you hate it all. If you hate us. Well, lots then, of that, ammo. it might be an issue. Lots Any, of ammo. The spinoff.co.nz, search RealPod, you might have a nice time.
2: Maybe. If you love the spinoff, the best way to show it is to become part of the spinoff members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. You can pay what you want, but for just $8 a month, you'll receive a package that includes our first book. Check it out through the spin-off. So let's go back a little bit to when you were getting this idea off the ground, right? It's Mm. really cool to kind of understand a little bit about, like, it's really cool to go, like, people who in the past would have gone, holy shit, either the store (laughs) is full or empty, what do I do now? Uh, Now have some kind of idea how to plan and and kind of work to demand. It's a really cool idea, but how do you go from, you know, an office in Auckland, New Zealand, mm. to to getting the cash that's required to actually get that off the ground with so much kind of to build ahead of proving it, mm. and then how do you go about landing companies like that as customers?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, initially it is all, it's all about calling in favours, big borough steel, um, using your own capital um, uh, to get things off the ground. Um, Working with government agencies like Callaghan have have been kind of um, really fundamental to the success of our business. Um, and then, I, I guess when you look at it, is um, you know when you have that that feeling in the pit of your stomach that this is going to be um, bigger than anything I've been involved in, is just having that determination to um, get people involved in the business and build a really really good team around you. Um, which sometimes can be challenging when you've got an idea and a, and a couple of dollars to, to rub together, but um, we're just lucky enough that we had individuals and in, uh, that believed in what we're doing from from kind of day one. We had a strong track track
2: record, and you picked up a great series of co founders and investors out yeah. of uh,
1: out of Online yep. Republic.
2: Yep. But it's still, it's still a big kind of um, bet, isn't it, to then build out the technology to make it
1: work? Yeah, it is, it is. And, and I, I think, you know, I meet with founders now and I think they're looking for me to give them the magic answer of, of whether they should do the idea or not. I don't think you're ever going to fully know 100% if you're going to be able to do the idea. Um, but if you've got that, that feeling in your stomach and it doesn't leave you and you keep on seeing these patterns of um, it, it's going to work, it's going to work, you just got to go for it uh, and you'll you'll land on it and you'll and you'll um you'll grow that idea and look we were just lucky that we also had a mentality that we knew what um, things like organic search could do for our business and that's how we were lucky enough to create this content that then attracted the likes of uber and booking.com so they inbounded to us we didn't have to go uh, looking for them but, yeah how did you do that because you were kind of in stealth mode weren't you uh, at the very beginning yeah i mean we're in stealth mode so far and the fact is that we didn't really go looking for publicity what we were doing is we're building something that we knew was very important um, but we also wanted to attract the right customer so we focused on content So I remember traveling home and I was listening to a guy actually from a business called um, Zapier and they built a landing page for every single API connection that they built and that triggered a thought in my mind is that we could do the same thing for businesses. So we set out and created a landing page for local event API because we knew people wanted to search for a local event API and we ended up building about 56 different landing pages and that was enough to go and attract the likes of the engineering team at Uber who were searching on local events API. and. So we're able to get really, really qualified traffic in early, uh, and and that was um, that was a really big kickstart for our for our business. That's a really
2: cool idea. In the same kind of way that um, you know, it, uh, a few years ago, there were some advertising case studies around some people trying to get jobs, and they they did it around kind of auto Googling. So they, <laughs> they did AdWords campaigns around the names of famous
1: creative directors. So when they Googled themselves, it said, hey, give me a job. That's really smart. <laughs> Jeef
0: yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really smart. <laughs> yes,
1: it is. I mean, look, you've got to get creative when, you, when you're trying to build a global business. Um, and I think we, we've always done things a little bit differently. And, and we're not afraid to continue to do so as well. And, 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 you know, I still remember the day when Rob, my co-founder, and I were sat in the office in, in Uber in San Francisco and, um, we had these engineers sitting there going look we've been trying to solve this for six months and we can't get anywhere we just want to get back to doing what we do best um, and and that's when we really were like jeepers this is this is massive and 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 then then booking.com came on board and some other really really big accommodation players as well so um, you just got to kind of hold on and, and and ride it out and, and try and um, uh, make sure the customers are, are really really happy in, in what we're providing. Tell me about those first meetings to get that on board. So
2: Uber gets in contact yeah. and says, "This is cool," and then you're like, "Oh yeah, we're just down the road," and then what? Jump on
1: a plane immediately? Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think it's the naivety of Kiwis sometimes is also a really good trait because you just you just don't know really what you're getting yourself in for, and I think. Kiwis can go into things and go like we're just going to go in there, um, extremely confident and, and back ourselves. And um, I remember uh, Mark, who is um, Mark, the guy who signed uh, the first deal at Uber. Him and I are still friends today. So um, you know, three years on, and um, uh, it's it's just one of those things, mate. You walk into these meetings and you've got to back yourself, uh, and you've got to <clears throat> understand and and try and um, make them feel comfortable that we're going to provide provide the value that they need. And you know, it is pretty daunting um but jeepers man like you just gotta you just gotta do it and, and did you have a working prototype could you say to them
2: you know plug yeah. plug pl- plug in kind of like um san jose tomorrow afternoon and we'll tell you if there's anything that's going to mean that there should be more cars in a certain place
1: yeah, totally yep absolutely and and, and when you needed to have that and um uh, yeah look it's, it's nowhere near um as intelligent as it is today but i think what we had in, in, in the likes of uber is someone that was uh, that was willing to work with us because we were solving a problem for them that they it wasn't their core capability uh, and it's far more complex than you actually appreciate because events are really dynamic. <laughs> They're not like just a, a normal location data set that is static. They are changing all the time. You've got new events being announced. You've got some being cancelled. You've got some changing location. And this dynamic nature of events makes it really, really hard to kind of pin down. Oh, and a, and a bunch of them... Move all the time, so you know even if you've yeah. got the the dentist conference locked
2: down, it'll go from Hawaii to Wisconsin to Alaska. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, <laughs> and so
1: we've and we've built these features within our API that allow you to track these. So we call them recurring events. So no matter where they occur, anywhere in the world, if you're associated that to your demand, you can follow that demand where they go. And the other thing you've got to remember is that um, you know, like Dreamforce. Last year, it started in September. This year, it started in October. That's a month shift in demand. Your demand models, if you're using no context, are just going, hey, in September, you're going to see a boatload of demand in, uh, in San Francisco. That demand's actually shifted to October. And so, again, this, this whole context that we're bringing allows um, allow businesses to really supercharge their, their um, demand forecasting.
2: And early on, you made the mm-hmm. call- Upsticks
1: mm. and go to San Francisco. Yeah,
2: tell me about that decision.
1: Um, i th- i think I think it was a bit of a surreal decision. Uh, I think I had convinced myself, and then I started uh, internally. I'd convinced myself, and then I started talking externally to my wife and my friends, and <laughs> uh, and then it was like by the time I was like, "Holy shit, what are we doing?" It yep. was uh, we were on the plane on on um, was it NZ eight over to um over to San Francisco, but. I don't. I don't regret it for a second. It was the best move we've we've made in, in this in this business.
2: And that was so. So tell me about the time there. Did you have customers? Did you have revenue? Like was it just <laughs> like we've got to have someone there? I'm the CEO. Looks like it's us. Oh, hey, love, um, us and our small young family are going to go. Yeah,
1: we had we had very little revenue. Uh, we had Uber as a customer, um, but it was, it was challenging. My wife is is really amazing. She, you know just backed me you know 120 percent she was all up for the adventure we had two young boys at the time um they were when we moved four and two and then we've just had a a new baby daughter about well a year ago now jeepers um but it was really challenging mate and and um but i guess the key thing there is um nothing is ever easy and it's very cliche but i knew that it was going to be tough and i knew that it would be challenging but ultimately we would find out if we truly had a big business or not we and that is the best place to test you know I love New Zealand, um, but for what we were trying to do, it was too small uh, and we needed to be where our customers were and we needed to be where our investors were going to be and that needed to be me. And it couldn't have been someone else in the business. And so, um, you know, the first six months of us being in the US was was really rough. You know, we had no credit score. Um, we got kicked out of our flat because they wanted to sell it, um, you know, in the first kind of two months and we were bouncing around and the kids went settled. But then we found our rhythm and and we started to find the people that would, would help us out and, and we're now, you know, we've got that rhythm now and we're really happy and, and um and we've got some amazing people supporting us over there as well as our Australian investors as well.
2: And here in New Zealand you've kept so your your technical co founder yep. is here. Yes. And you've got what, fifty odd people here doing the actual the data science, the machine learning, the, yeah. the, the hard bits of the software and engineering yeah. are still all done out of New Zealand with the R&D. Yeah. And it's you and um, go-to-market team who yeah. are based out of San Francisco.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we've got some really talented people in New Zealand. I think we have um, uh, a really... Unique way of working down in New Zealand from a from a technical standpoint, and I think that's something that we've we've looked to amplify. Um, we've got some amazing talented people in the business, and, and from all around the world. That you know, because New Zealand's an attractive place to come and live, and, and we've we've kind of embraced that. Um, and then in terms of the US, I mean, the way we talk about it is that we're trying to fuse the empathetic, um, views of, and, and way that Kiwis work with the kind of ambition of, of the U S, uh, culture. And that seems to be working really, really well. And we're sharing that across those, across those, um, those offices, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you got to take a breath sometimes because it's, it's, uh, it's been a crazy ride so far.
2: Tell me about
1: that cultural difference, um, having done
2: a bit of work over the, 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 that divide. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of like a, a complete different way of thinking when you've got to think about global scale. When you've come from a place like New Zealand where you've got to kind of yeah. do everything for everyone and you can't be in a niche and you've got to, you know, you've got to say yes and find a way to then yeah. get into that kind of like international scale and
1: focus and, yeah. and,
2: and, and ambition.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the great thing about working with a team in the US is they've seen true scale. And they've worked for businesses like Okta and LinkedIn and Medellia um, and, and and that is exciting um, because their ambition no knows it knows no bounds and um, and that's infectious uh, and the way in which they approach problem solving is is very is, is just um, is, is awesome and I think at the same time they also appreciate uh, you know what we're building back in New Zealand and we often send back Americans back to back to the New Zealand office and vice versa and we've just got this really lovely thing going now where when people come back here, they take them out for dinner and when we go over there, they take them out for dinner and drinks and they're sharing and, and caring and that. This is a big part of it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, look, it's, uh, you know, we're getting the best of both worlds and I think that the world is changing the way in which you can run a business. And I th- even when we're raising capital, people were like, oh, I don't know if I believe in having technical staff back in New Zealand. And we're like, you know, we get we get, you know, like a much longer tenure out of people in New Zealand than you would in the Valley. You know, you've got people bouncing around, engineers bouncing around in the valley every, you know, twelve months. Yeah, with the, the lure of stock options and this, that, and the other, and
2: it's it's just it's it, just not the competition here, or yeah, more no, no, of it, a loyal culture.
1: No, it's, I just think it's um, people are searching for uh, searching for that logo in, in the valley, and there's so many logos over there. We're over here, we, we're focused on you know building a really really amazing business uh, locally, and I think that is a really attractive thing for people to be involved in, and uh, and um, you know, we're kind of a you know, there's that not that many businesses kind of taking on the world from New Zealand, uh, and so that is a really really unique thing to be involved with. And people joining our business are getting to, you know, engage with the likes of your your Uber's, your Booking. coms, your you know, Bird Scooters, all, all sorts of different businesses that that we now we we now call customers. Tell me about the role of culture in there because I was having a little
2: bit of a, a, a mm. look around and on your about page you've got your company values up there yeah. and one of them is about family, which mm. um, feels like it's very 2019, but I understand it's been there from the start.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's really it's really personal for, for myself and Rob with, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been through situations where, you know, I have been I was working in London and um, my boss at the time, I had a situation I needed to be back in New Zealand. She, she said, look, you go back, you sort it out, you don't even care about what happens here. And, and I think, you know, it, it was those moments where you go, that needs to be part of whatever I build in the future. And you know, you, you get these, um, you get these people joining now, and we're just very, very upfront about it. Even this morning, we had a um, uh, one of our one of our staff, his friend was involved in a car accident. So, uh, you know, we just say, hey, look, you don't even think about work. You sorted out what help do you need, what support do you need, and I think that's really important. And it's just being human. And I think people over um, over correlate on. You know, you got to have all these plans in place around around culture, but the key thing is is to remain human. Uh, it's the little things that that mean a lot to these people, and and I think if it's personal, it comes from the heart in terms of way why we've implemented it, then it's not cliche, and and we've had to do this time and time again, and um, that support for these people is critical, and I want them to know right that um, don't put business first, you know, put your family and friends first. I certainly do. I put my kids first all the time. I put my wife first, and I think that's important. And, yes, we work sometimes weird hours, but end of the day, um, people will be happier if they have that well-being and that knowledge that their family and friends are, are, are happy and healthy as well, and, and themselves as well. And that kind of individual character
2: uh, thing, I saw something around how you managed to stand out at aviation <laughs> conferences. Yeah. Um, Tell me, talk, talk me, talk me
1: through the um, the attire strategy at a aviation conference. Yeah, look, I, I think we you got to lead from the front, and and so that means that myself and uh, my COO Richard have been on in, in many occasions where we've worn these pretty pretty ludicrous um, suits, and, and the main reason is we just we want people to come talk to us, so we don't want to have to walk around the room and. And talk to all these airlines and, and try and convince them, you know, they, they should be talking to us as they were coming to us. And they were talking to us about, you know, first and foremost, why do you look like such a Muppet? And then, <laughs> and then secondly is, what do you guys do? And then we tell them, they're like, oh, wow, that, that's great. And I think that that kind of Kiwi attitude is, um, is saying that, we're, again, we're just not afraid to do. And I think our very first suit now we've got encased in glass in our boardroom in New Zealand, with a little sign saying "Break in case of emergency." It's a um, d 2 suit uh, that now is actually a, a collectible item because Disney sued the suit company that made it, <laughs> uh, and so we're just we're getting one put in in, in New Zealand and uh, in, in the US as well. But again, it's just that it's that Kiwi attitude. We're all a bit quirky, um, but the, but ultimately it's it's um, to make sure the business is moving forward
2: and standing out in a sea of sameness. Those conferences, yeah. you know. They're all older white guys. They're all born. they have all got glasses, and they're all in the same suits. And all yeah. you know, it can feel like you're you're in a um kind of like copy and paste environment.
1: Yeah, and and I th- you know, it's I mean when we turned up, it is it is pretty crazy. Like people just looking, you go, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but again, it you know um, if I, I can't expect my staff to do it if I don't do it as well. And so you know, I've I've got to embrace it. And um and and look, we, you know. You, it's just a it's just a great way of coming through to these people as well and moving to San Francisco mm.
2: worked because yes. you got you got into the networks where that first kind of couple of million of funding then um, you, you managed to land a really significant kind of fifteen million New Zealand round yeah. after that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was a crazy process, but I was um, a lot of people said it couldn't be done, and um, because we, you know, I wasn't known in the valley. We were a Kiwi business, um, and that kind of just pushes me harder and faster. And we were just lucky that we had some. You know, um, some people that, that understood our vision. And, you know, I've, I remember um, it was probably my darkest moment, but probably my, the best moment that came out of it is um, we had been to a partnership meeting. So, a partnership meetings when an uh, investment company will say, yep, we're either in or out. Uh, and it was a firm that I really, I really wanted to be part of our business. And they said no. And they said no. One of the reasons was we, uh, because we had a, um, an HQ in New Zealand, which I was, I was not changing. You know, I'm a Kiwi, I want New Zealand to do well, and that, that's not changing. There's a lot of benefits having a, uh, you know, our HQ and R&D, R, R&D here in New Zealand. And then about about uh, two days later, uh, a friend of mine, um, Jeff, called me up and goes, hey, mate, can you come and present to my class at Stanford? Uh, and I said, look, Jeff, man, I'm just broken, mate. I can't do it. And he goes, no. And so I hung up. As soon as I hung up, I, I felt really bad, and this is weird weird feeling. And I called him back and said, look, Jeff, I'll do it. And he goes, Great. He didn't tell me what it was. And so what it was, bearing in mind I'm broken, I've done 60 60, um, VC meetings already, Uh, walk into the class and it was three investors sitting in front of me with a class of about 50 MBA students and I had to pitch our pitch and they would tear me to shreds in front of all the MBA students as a way of saying... Hey, this is how you know. This is crap. This is great and whatnot. Um, but <laughs> this is why sixty people said no. Yeah, I yeah. bet That's a pretty brave environment to but walk into. It's just, it's just a weird environment. And then, um, but Teresa happened to be one of the um, one of the people on the thing. And she just came up to me after. She goes, right. Um, and by this stage, my pitch. Hey, who's that, Teresa? Sorry, Teresa Gale. She's. Um, uh she's a, she's a force of nature and, uh, and an amazing investor in, in the Valley um, XXL and, and got, has got her own firm now called Crew And she's just a sensational individual um, and was very, very lucky to meet her. But she said, look, um, you need to get in my car now. I've called ahead to our partnership and everyone's going to be there and you're going to pitch to our partnership. And, you know, three, four days later, you um, because uh, we had we had other offers on the table, uh, but she said, no, no, you're, you're going to do it with me. And, and I said, no, 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 no. And she goes, no, you are. And she's very convincing because I didn't really know who she was. And then I found out who she was and, and, and did DD on her. And I was like, oh, one I was the, like, holy shit, why was I saying that to her? And, <laughs> one of the most powerful events in the valley, <laughs> Excel yeah, yeah. being tier one. And, and that's, that, that's that Kiwi naivety, I guess, that that kind of makes it a bit genuine. But um, in, in the end, she uh, you know, she was amazing. And, and then um, uh, Lightspeed Venture Partners then inbounded to us. And I told Teresa about it. And she goes, yeah, we get those guys into to convest with us. And so I went and met um, RFJ and Muhammad, who did not want to meet me. He was like, oh, I can't be bothered meeting this dude. So he had me pegged in for like 15 minutes to meet him, and we ended up staying and talking for an hour and a half. And then I came back in about a week later and um, pitched to him and his his partner, Jeremy. Um, he's an Australian, and uh, they just got up and walked out, and I was like, well, I guess, I guess the pitch is over. <laughs> yeah, so guys. I walked out I walked out to the uh, car park, and then I heard someone yelling my name, and it was Arif, and he goes, mate, where are you going? I said, well, I thought you guys went, I thought you guys left. He goes, no, no, we're just about talking what offer we're going to make you. And then, so he shook my hand in the, in the car park of, of Lightspeed. And um, and so in the space of kind of two or three weeks, we closed, um, you know, a crew and, and Lightspeed. And it was just one of those things because you've got to put yourself out there and your pitch gets better over time. Like my first pitch uh, was freaking horrendous. Like it was, <laughs> it was diabolical, but you get better and better and better. And then you're able to articulate just what you're trying to build, how big the market is, who your customers are, how you're going to grow revenue, how you're going to expand contracts. Uh, And and it's a process, but you've got to be open to it. And along that time, you're
2: also onboarding and meeting new clients, and you've got some good names on the roster. Yeah, But it must be... Hard, you know, you're, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. You're, you're in San Francisco, you're, you're biased, <laughs> you're, you're, with your, you're with your family, but yeah. you're like isolated from all your normal support yeah. networks and usualness. And then you're going to a bunch of strangers and 60 of them are saying no to you with something yeah. that you're pretty sure is working. Yeah, yeah. Must be, must be a real, and then even when it is working... You don't necessarily know it because you're walking out of meetings. Yeah, what a, what an amazing process. But from the outside, people just go, "Oh, look at all that money they raised. They're doing pretty well." Yeah, that,
1: that's easy. No, I mean, look, it was brutal. I mean, my wife was um, at the time. My wife was five months pregnant. We were within a day of getting kicked out of the country because uh, they um, they declined the extension of our L one A visa. So within like nine days, we had to reapply for an L one B visa. It was a, a it was a pretty it was a pretty dark time. But I guess at the, at the same time it's just that determination to keep going and when people say you can't do it you just keep moving and i I think um yeah i remember my wife coming in and i was um it was after this partnership meeting where they said no and i was just ashen lying on the couch like i kind of didn't know where to go but i think you take your time you breathe you wake up in the morning and you're like you know what we've still got options we've still got great people that want to invest in the business um, and you keep going, you make yourself, you open yourself up to these opportunities and, and I was just lucky enough to go along and meet Teresa and then, and then meet Arif and um, they both are amazing partners in our business and um, yeah, uh, people say luck but I think you make your own luck because you put yourself out there and, and you're willing to be beaten up and then get back up and go do it again, because you know we had like I'd have like three meetings in a day, and you'd have a great meeting in the morning, a shit meeting at about you know in the afternoon, and then you got to back up for another one, and you just got to keep going and going and going and going. And nothing. Um, just just what I do, my trick when I was doing it is try to stay as physically fit as I could. I stopped drinking alcohol for the whole time we're raising capital, and those kind of key little things to make sure that I was clear of mind when I was, when I was doing it. So if we did have dark times, I could punch through it. It's <laughs> kind of the key thing, and
2: I suppose that you know you need you need that funding because you are building ahead of demand if you're making something yeah. that's never existed yeah. before, and having pulled that in, and now you've gone out with aviation rank, which yeah. is like a special product for the aviation industry to be
1: able to forecast um, d- demand for them.
2: What other stuff have you got cooking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of alluded this before. Is, um we're in the process now of of really building out a correlation and prediction engine, um, and so you know we've built this API, a really really uh, clean data stream of of event data. We've built a lot of intelligence on it, like local local rank, aviation rank. And now we're building out this correlation prediction engine so that we can correlate our events to customers' demand and then help predict what's going to impact them in the future as well. And that was always kind of the premise behind our business from from day one, except we went the wrong way around around it. And so we've built out all the foundations that we wanted to, and now we're moving to that next stage of of growth and, and deploying our capital in a way that that is going to capture that as well. And, and it's listening to our customers. You know, our customers have fed back to us. We just had... Um, Pete, uh, one of our, our head of product over in the US, interviewing a lot of our customers around this this next journey, and and we've had outstanding feedback about it, um, and that is just really reassuring that we're not only listening and providing this, but the customers are all in on it, and they want to be part of it, and they want to partner with us for it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty special time at the moment. And having kind of
2: um, had the success, you know, got these great names on board and got these great customers, and you know, h- how do you? To find success like what what will make you feel
1: like you've given it a good nudge yeah I mean it's a good question and I think um Campbell of probably about four or five years ago would have would have placed it largely on monetary and, and I think that's actually the wrong way of looking at it is you know have we created a business where we've got people that are having a blast doing it that they're supporting their own family that um that people are able to enjoy what they're doing we've got happy customers we are putting New Zealand on the map so I don't think it's one one thing I think it's many but I think the key thing I've learned to be over the, over the past few years is a lot more self-aware uh, and I think with that comes that reality that um, you know the the only thing you can't buy is time and so what you want to make sure that everyone is involved in the business is they're enjoying their time in the business as well and I think that that comes with a that is success to me is we're enjoying, we're on the same journey. We're doing the same thing. We're achieving the same goals. Um, and look, a byproduct is you, you might get um, monetary out, uh, you know, monetary value out of that. But I think if you if you kind of um, rotate towards that, you won't. I don't think you're going to push yourself as hard. And, and and it's um, I think it's yes, yeah, you just learn as you go. Uh, and um, but don't get me wrong, mate. Like we are, you know we're just so bloody determined to make this a a really kick-ass business and that is the number one thing we're focused on and we're not focused on, I think a lot of people focus on building a business to be sold, that's just not the way we're looking at it, we're building a really, really kick-ass business and the byproduct of that is you become very attractive and so um, that's just what we're focused on at the moment. Well, thank you. I can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you for coming and sharing your
2: story today. That's Campbell Brown, the CEO and co-founder at Predict HQ.
1: Great, thank you.
2: Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing and thank you very much for having us along and listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's chat, please do tell a friend and jump on board and give us a rating or review on iTunes. Cheers. Uh, if you are a fan and follower of The Spin-Off, make sure you check out The Spin-Off Members, uh, a programme where you're able to get behind and support and choose and shape the investigative journalism that The Spin-Off
0: provides. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound.
1: And brought to you by The Spin-off and Callahan Innovation.
0: From the Spin-off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, Visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin Off Podcast Network.